Red Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this midweek edition of the podcast. We are downloaded in over 30 countries across the globe and available on every major media platform. For everyone listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show if you haven't already. Nothing you do will help us more immensely. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the Tampa Bay Rays, dropping the series uh, two, two games to one. They are also now... Back in second place, half a game behind the Tampa Bay Rays. Quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners, and this show would probably be applicable to why we have a disclaimer. Uh, This is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, Press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine. You can harass me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can also find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Co-hosting with me tonight from the mile-high city of Denver by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, Andrew Dwan. Andrew, how are you? Hanging in there, man. Tough series. Some bad luck. Uh, definitely was the prevalent factor tonight. And, you know, sometimes the ball just bounces the wrong way and it sure bounced the wrong way, you know, away from Christian Vasquez. Yes, uh, a lot of uh, weird circumstances kind of set off the the chain of events for how tonight's game ended, and uh, it was uh, pretty brutal. But uh, also joining us tonight from the nation's capital by way of Newport, Rhode Island, Job Goddard. Job, how are you? Not good, Terry. Not good at all. I was hoping I wasn't going to have to do this episode ever. I, I, I talked about my opinions for some of Bloom's signings, all of spring training, all through the offseason, the first week of the season, and then didn't do much for a while because those guys showed up. Well, those guys aren't showing up in this series. We're going to have to get into it. I'm I'm fired up. It's at least, what, the second series in a row we lost. Uh, the Royals series kind of was painful as well. And uh, I can't remember if, was it Houston before that? It was. Yeah, so it, it's been it's been kind of a tough month. And um, we knew it would be. And I, I thought we could be struggling worse because May had a number of tough matchups as well. But we're at least in the thick of it. Uh, this is a loaded ser- uh, this is a loaded episode. There's tons of uh, issues to get into here. So we will go right into studs and duds. Actually, just the scores of the series. I've been trying to get into the habit of that. 
Tuesday, game one, the Red Sox did win that one in extra innings, nine to five. Wednesday, uh, we lost that one eight to two. And then finally tonight, of course, a uh, a very weird one to nothing game, and uh, we'll we'll be getting into that quite a bit. So, Andrew, your stud for the series. Mine was the guy that didn't let up a hit. That was Nick Pavetta. Should have gone seven full innings, and error knocked him out of the game. I uh, he was great. I. The stuff he was pumping the first inning was absurd. It was like a completely different guy. It was 98-99 on a quick pitch. I haven't seen that from him before. And his spin rate was up from prior starts. So whatever he was doing, we got to kind of share the wealth amongst the staff because that was a Nick Pavetta that we haven't seen, that the Philly sure as hell didn't see because uh, he wouldn't be pitching for us if they had. That was super encouraging, and hopefully he just keeps building upon that momentum. He's probably got about two more starts here before the All-Star break, so if we see that Nick Pavetta the next two times out, I'm going to be so happy. You know, I, I disagree with you a little bit, Andrew. We have seen this Nick Pavetta before, also in a loss, and that was against Seattle at home where he went six no-hit innings, gave up a double, and then the wheels fell off when the relievers came in, uh, and we lost that game. Nick Pavetta is probably the only guy more upset than I am with how this series went. That was the brightest spot of the weekend, obviously, uh, or of the of the midweek uh, series. I love what I saw from him. He attacked the zone. He handled himself very professionally. He shook off the catcher a lot, which I don't usually love, but he made the right decisions clearly because they weren't making loud contact even with their outs. And it was exactly what this team needed based on the rest, how the rest of the series went. And then what we're facing against the New York Yankees at home over the weekend. Andrew, do you want to respond before I do? Oh, I was when, um, when I say we hadn't seen before, we hadn't seen that velocity. I, I think that was just the highest he's ever Probably touched. I don't. It was. I've never seen. I've never seen ninety nine from him. I think the highest he topped out was ninety six against Seattle. Yeah, and then it was just an absolute killer curve too. And Rob Freeton was all over that. So I, if that's something he's discovered, hell yeah. Yeah, his curve actually gained a hundred and eighty six RPMs from his last start, and. I kind of tweeted out, I mean, the last thing we expected tonight was a pitcher's duel, you know, tit for tat all the way through. And Pavetta was a little bit more efficient than Waka, but Waka was pretty nasty. You were seeing a lot of movement on uh, some of his off-speed pitches. And I tweeted out on my primary account that, you know, I wanted to kind of conspiracy theorize that maybe MLB was letting them tinker with something you know, for maybe something they could use. and But they were getting checked just as regularly as everybody else was in all the other games uh, and, you know, in the as well as the last couple of days leading up. So it was uh, – it certainly was an impressive performance, I, I think, from Pavetta. He didn't look terrible his last time out either. I think it was two times ago he gave up three home runs, six runs overall. So – He's continued to kind of 
revert back into form regardless of what the substance policies are. And that's not something we've really seen so far, um, you know, with uh, with the players who haven't gotten their turn since Monday. So I like what I'm seeing. What I didn't like seeing on social media was just an absolute cry fest from, I, I don't want to say half the fan base, but a lot of fans like, how dare they take him out? He had a chance for a no-hitter, blah, blah, blah. No, he, he didn't. He, he was at 100 pitches, and there was no way he was getting through three more innings. And where he really blew it was the inning before when he hit Brandon Lau with that pitch. It was a 2-2 count. He had a chance to get out at 80 pitches had he got that final strike. And then he hit Lau. Lau took his base, and then he had to face another batter. And it just wasn't going to be realistic at that point. Even 80 pitches, he would have needed probably 15 a pitches. Miracle. Yeah, 15 pitches per inning, and you just can't, you just can't really count on that. You know, they're going to be grinding away, driving your count up. So, for all the fans blaming Cora for for taking out Pavetta, that's not a valid argument, and you you need to get over it. And I mean, if you're complaining about that, go watch Johan Santana's no hitter, and then watch the next like 20 starts of his, and then then, then complain about it. Yeah, yeah. No, we'll, we'll get we'll get into it a little bit uh, as we get further into the show. I'm sure. So his, I don't want to add too much. His but career basically I ended just, Santana's at that point. You know, I I want to just say this, and we'll dig into this. So I don't want to expose too much. At this point in the season, with what's going on with the sticky substances. I want a pitcher who's young, hasn't been in the big leagues all that long, hasn't had all that time to develop a need for this spider tack or sunscreen and rosin or whatever it is they're using in the big leagues that they're not using in the minors. I want that guy because that guy is Nick Pavetta, and he was really, really good tonight. And we'll get to the other side of the coin in a minute. Yeah. One other thing here. Um, in regards to pulling Pavetta out, there there was a runner on second, and he's bringing in Josh Taylor, who hasn't given up a run. So it's imp- April twenty fourth. It's yeah. important to preserve the win, and you're, you're. I think Taylor's the safest guy in the bullpen at this point. We'll we'll get into it perhaps a little more or into the deep dives episode uh, on on the bullpen, but. But Pavetta was solid, and he almost had a Bumgarner no-hitter, you know, seven innings. So, um, yeah, good good start for him. Uh, go ahead, Job, your stud for the series. Well, we just kind of dug into it a little bit, and I gave you guys uh, Xander Bogarts as my stud, but my stud's actually going to be Alex Cora. I'm going to go with Alex Cora. Um, he made the right call in taking out Nick Pavetta, preserved his arm, Gave us a chance to win that game. Made all the right moves and pushed all the right buttons in game one to keep us in that. I love the chips in the middle of the table move to pinch run Connor Wong for his big leg debut against uh, against the Rays the other night. In the top of the 11th uh, for J.D. Martinez, which ended up being the go-ahead run, if not the winning run. And what I really love about what Corey did, Every single matchup that he went to go get a pitcher from the bullpen, I loved it. And the only one that I questioned a little bit was in game one. He went and got Sarimura uh, out of there after two hitters. Uh, well, he faced three hitters. But after he had two outs in the inning, 
uh, and brought in Darwinson Hernandez, and I was like, mm, I would have let him throw one more. His splitter is nasty, but it turns out he knew what he was doing. He manipulated the bullpen fantastically uh, and got us at least one win in this uh, this tough series. So Alex Cora is my stud. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always on board for a Cora stud. I I was a huge huge proponent of um, hiring him this off season. Love having him back. You know, the team's got his back completely. The players love playing for him. And he, he might be overusing some guys in the bullpen, but that's about it. It's really my only beef. Um, I do think that there could be an argument that he is a little too vet savvy uh, with giving some guys a longer leash, but that also speaks to some 40-man issues that are just a little too long for the time slot right now. So, yeah, um, I was fine with it. Pavetta was fine with coming out, said Cora made it tough, but correct call. So hard to argue with that one, Joe. I've got no issues with it. I've never had a problem really with Alex Cora's bullpen management. Um the manager before him, which seems like forever ago, not counting Renicky, um, John Farrell, one of the worst I've ever seen as far as managing a bullpen. So um, I like it. I mean, my beef with Cora is always, you know, overresting guys and um, sometimes with the alignment of the lineup. But I mean, that's if that's your biggest problem, then. You know, yeah, you know, I think okay. the only part, Terry, that you could kind of question there is using Danny Santana multiple games in the leadoff spot in the series. But with Arroyo down, Ploiecki hurt. You really, he really didn't have a lot of choices to manipulate the lineup. Uh, so I, I didn't hate that too much, and I just thought he he kept us in uh, both games, in the first game and the last game that we had a chance to win, and even in the loss. Uh, he was quick enough with the trigger um, that I thought he really deserved, you know, the win there. Yeah, that, that's fine. I, I got no issues with Cora. Um, all right, so I've been wrestling with who I want for for my stud. I'm actually gonna go with. J.D. Martinez, actually, that might surprise you guys a little bit, but um, he wasn't super impressive all series. He did have one hit uh, in every game. He was 3-for-13 overall. Drove in a couple in the uh, first game on Tuesday, but the impressive thing is that he's got a 13-game hitting streak going on right now. So uh be a little interesting to see how long that continues. He's going to have to face Garrett Cole uh, later on this week, although um, he's got 500 less uh, RPMs to, uh, to worry about on uh, some of Cole's pitches. So um, like what I'm seeing out of J.D., he um, – you know, he got his, I think it was at the end of the Kansas City series, but he finally, he went several days without a home run, but got one there and uh, drove in, uh, you know, some other runs. So I'm going to go with JD. I, I don't really, nobody else really killed it. Um, you know, Renfro, we'll get into, well, actually, go ahead. Do you guys want to say anything about JD? 
I have not. I have no strong feelings either way, to be honest with you on that one. Um, I'm fine with it. Yeah, I actually don't necessarily like that, Terry. The only reason <laughs> is if you look at the numbers, yes, he's on a 13-game hitting streak, but his average has actually dropped from 314 to about 308. Um, he's striking out a lot more than I would anticipate. Um, and he just hasn't really been clutch uh, over the last couple of series. This one in particular, I thought a couple of times, okay, man on base, JD's finally going to do something, and he just didn't didn't deliver. So I actually wasn't a huge fan of his series, but, I mean, you're, you're picking from very slim options, right? I mean, I picked the manager, for God's sakes. Yeah, he did have three strikeouts in that two RBI game, game one, but the the final two games of the series, he was uh, two for eight with uh, two strikeouts. So a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit less painful there. Um, you know, I, I'd love to see him. I'd love to see him go deep. He's definitely slowed down a little bit, but he's, I think he's pulling his weight there in the lineup. I mean, Bogarts has had his ups and downs. He was four for 10 in this series. Uh, Dever had, uh, Dever's had three, uh, runs driven in two of them in the, uh, extra innings game, which admittedly I, I fell asleep and full disclosure. I was positive. I was going to wake up to a losing score. So I was pleasantly surprised to see the Red Sox up nine to five. Um, when I got dragged off the couch at two 30 AM, but, um, but yeah. And, uh, getting into the pitching, I mean, the bullpen was, was fairly solid throughout. Taylor had multiple appearances, uh, didn't give up a run, uh, Rios had uh, a nice uh, two-inning uh, appearance. Uh, Andres later on ended up uh, being terrible, but um, but it was nice to see him pitch well. Uh, Saw man Darwin's in. Uh, neither neither one of them gave up any runs. So um, I I don't know what to make of Erods. I I initially wrote him in the in the dud column, but. Only three of those runs were were earned, and it was the Wander Franco uh, home run. So, yeah, I um, thought Erod was really promising after I, Yeah, you know, I think was it three? I think three episodes ago, uh, or actually two episodes ago, we sat here and we talked about how we saw some promising things from Erod, and I talked about how he probably turned a corner, and then he threw a stinker. So I don't want to say too much about how I think Erod's turned a corner uh, because then he'll give up ten runs, but. He was better tonight than he's been since April, um, and it was very promising. We needed him to keep us in that ball game, and uh, he gave us a chance to win, which is more than most guys on the staff. Yeah, and he only walked one, struck out uh, seven, so he's finding ways to grind along. And I don't think Tampa's his best uh, ballpark either. So he, you know, he he pitched well enough. Um, all right, let's uh, get over into the duds, kind of cruising right along. We'll probably spend some time uh, in this segment, I'm sure. But, uh, Andrew, go ahead. Your dud for the series. Um, full disclosure, I didn't watch yesterday's game. Uh, so that one was out out for me. But I picked Michael Chavis tonight. He looked terrible. Struck out twice. Got lucky on a walk that I think they missed at least one strike on there for and then made the dumbest of errors that 
I thought was going to cost him because that's how the series had been going. But it just ended up knocking Nick Pavetta out of the game. I He's bringing nothing to the table, kind of like what first base has been doing all season. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think we're nearing the end of the road for pretty much anyone that's been playing that position for the team all year. Uh, but Chavis, to me, has been super disappointing since the day he stepped foot in Boston. Um, we can look, take a look back at his career, you know, mid twenties, first round pick didn't do great. had a great season. They got popped for steroids. They got hurt. So it's not like he's a spring chicken, even though he's played probably under what, 200 combined games to this point. It's a bust of a pick. It happens. Baseball is a hard, hard, hard sport to draft for. I mean, Matt Chapman went the pick before him. That's just, you know, just how it crumbles sometimes. And, Hopefully, Chavis can turn around in a different organization just because I don't think I don't see him coming back after this year just with all the people that they're going to have to fit on the roster. Yeah, I just to feed off that, I think his 40 man roster spot is not long. Um, He's not long for that 40 man roster spot. At this point, he seems to be the only one the Red Sox will go to with an injury in the infield. That's probably twofold one they don't want to force a young guy up and either start his service time clock early or force him into a situation very similar to what michael chavis had to deal with where he's not ready but maybe catch lightning in a bottle and then what happens next uh you just disappear off the face of the earth and you lose your confidence because pitchers start to exploit you at a higher level i'm unfortunately i think He's probably done with the Red Sox. I think he's done with done in baseball. I don't. I don't know that there's a team in baseball that can fix his swing and his confidence at this point in time. If this was four months ago, I would say probably. But I think we're too far down the road of yanking him back and forth to AAA and him not having success. Well, I've used the wor- a term that I haven't used ever. And I've used it multiple times this week. We have a lot of trash depth as far as offense goes. You got Danny Santana hitting, what, 123 right now? Something awful. Bobby Dahlbeck struck out nine times in 10 at-bats. He struck out 90% of the time in this series. Cora eventually apparently had enough and, and put Marwin Gonzalez in halfway through the third game. And then you got Chavis, who's had the smallest sample size of everyone. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to be on the next train back to Worcester. I, I don't know. It's tough to tell where Cora and Bloom's mindset is, whether that's Chavis, whether it's Santana. Um, if Dahlbeck looks terrible this next series, maybe he's going to have to finally get option to – to, to have a reset. We're seeing it with Franchi right now, hitting bomb after bomb down there, which apparently, um, you know, out in right field in, in Polar Park is uh, pretty easy to do right now. But um, but may, maybe that has to happen. I've never seen first base so bad. That That's usually a spot you have a solution for. 
And yeah, we've seen. I, I agree, Terry. We've seen the solution to that be Manny Ramirez, uh, Hanley Ramirez, excuse me, and, and then that worked out fine. So uh, I just Chavis is hitting two fifty on the season. You know, tiny sample size, but we're picking our poison at this point. I I just feel like you should have one more option who can hit. Like there should be somebody in the system who can hit, and first base is not that hard to teach. Exactly. I That's... mean, fa- famously the Oakland A's, right? They took Scott Hatterberg from the Red Sox as a catcher, and they put him at first base, having never played there. He played a full season, and he wasn't bad. You can teach anyone to play first base if they have instincts and skills for the game. Well, so that's what happens. They, I mean, they had no farm system going into last year, and they've been rebuilding it on the fly. I mean, luckily, you're top prospect is a first baseman but he's still a year away um if Hudson Potts wasn't hurt for so long this season maybe he would have been in Worcester producing pretty well and he could have been a solution but yeah it's just they had really no organizational depth it was all depleted now a lot of these guys are outfielders which well they should have signed a guy in my opinion like a Mitch Moreland you know, I'm not asking for you to hit 300. I'm not asking for 30 home runs. Can you hit 240? Can you hit your weight? <laughs> yeah. Like, like that's all I'm asking. And none of the guys in this organization seem to be able to do that at first base. It's uh, it's starting to make me think a lot about, you know, where we do have positional depth. There, there might be some guys in AAA who could help us. You know, I mean, our AAA team is absolutely raking at Polar Park and Worcester. Um, and they're just all at the wrong positions. So that frustrates me a little bit. Too many outfielders, not enough infielders, no one who can play first base. Good enough. Uh, I, I, there's not a whole lot we can say on it, and it's it's probably going to be a glaring issue in, in future episodes. But um, go ahead, Job. You're done for the series. Well, uh, as I mentioned in my little intro, I've been waiting for this one since <laughs> February 15th, um, spring training, when I came on this show and said, Garrett Richards is garbage. And that was the title episode. You know, That was the title of the episode for that one, is we think Garrett Richards can't stick it. Turns out he is not only reliant on the substances to pitch, his brain is broken by the idea that he has to change something. He is a head case we haven't seen since Matt Clemente uh, or Matt Clement in 2006, where they took away his sticky stuff, and he just looked like he didn't want to be out there um, you know, at all. Every single time he threw a pitch, you could see him just glaring in, bad pitches, giving up no heart, absolutely no heart, and you know, he still has Ability. It's not like he got to the big leagues because he found sticky stuff first. He pitched his way here the same way as everybody else. Now, he did come up with the Angels, which is where the Stickum stuff started. This uh, spider tack started in, in the Angels system, so he has been pitching with it probably for his whole career. He mentioned sunscreen and rosin, but I think it's probably something a little bit more. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, this guy... I know he's going to come out next week for another start. Cora mentioned it. Not only is it mental, he just doesn't have the the skill level to be a starting pitcher 
without the the sticky stuff, and he doesn't have the mental fortitude to figure it out. So to me, Dave Bush, Alex Cora, they can work all the magic they want in three weeks' time if he's still starting and Tanner Houck is not. Then we're gonna have an automatic loss in the rotation every fifth day. This guy can't pitch. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this was so abrupt. No one could have predicted this when, you know, signing or anything. Because why would they? I disagree with you, though. I disagree with you, though, because the MLB said, you know, they said last last year in a note to the Players Association, like, if this gets out of control, we're going to do something. And they said, I know, but when have they ever done that? When has baseball ever done that? No, never. I mean, they right. literally had interviews right. with Mark McGuire in front of his locker with steroids in the backdrop of it, and then Tony Larusa yelled at the reporters. So, I, yeah, that, that was – I don't blame them I for mean, signing I, him. I, under, I understand it. I don't, I'm not blaming Hein Bloom for, for signing him for that reason, right? Because Hein Bloom doesn't know that this guy can only pitch with spider tack, I assume. If he did, then I'd be pissed. I thought he couldn't pitch to begin with. It turns out. Now I mean, he was doing decently. He wasn't actually a bad pitcher. He was more than no, serviceable I mean, he, and he has, as a number he three. He has some skill, right? He has some skill. He's got a great breaking ball. But if you can't, you know, put it all together because you're a head case, you're not going to pitch well. I mean, we know these pitchers are creatures of habit and they freak out over the little things. I don't know if yeah. you saw Max Scherzer and Sergio Ramos, you know, pulling down their pants, unbuttoning their belts, all this good stuff. Or the umpires questioning their integrity of the game. They've all been using the, the sticky stuff. Anyone who's freaking out, Garrett Richards is top of the list. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, I don't blame him for using it. I don't blame any of the pitchers for using it, quite frankly. And I think the all-star break's coming at a good time for Richards because he can try to figure some stuff out. And, yeah, he is going to have to try to reinvent himself. But that's just the situation around baseball. And I think we're going to see a lot of guys that are going to have to try to reinvent themselves on the fly. And like you saw glass now say, and I, a couple others, I mean, the timing of it was just unfortunate. And I, I agree to a point where, yeah, I don't, you shouldn't have been using it, but no, I mean, maybe I crack down on it, it before the year than doing it right now. Which I mean, is I understand that they're using it, but you should have the ability Knowing that this was a possibility since spring training, to you should have learned to pitch without it for the last six weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks. He's now on his what twelfth start with the Red Sox. You knew this was a possibility. You're telling me on your bullpen sessions you can't figure it out. I just I, I find it hard to believe that they had no inkling this was coming until June first, and then decided to wait until the last minute to make a change. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens with him. You know, he's yeah. he's I mean, got to get a feel a for it. He said, uh, "What he's I forget what his quote was the other day, but he said it was he's not too concerned about his stuff. He's more he was more concerned about his location. That's where he was trying to really pinpoint. So who knows? Maybe he'll get a feel for it. I'm still convinced that they will probably end up doing something with the ball or allowing some sort of substance for them to get grip." I, I'm not writing him or any other struggling pitcher um, off completely right now because I I think this will pop up in as a potential sticking point in the CBA if they're just going to just drop a bomb on him like this. Well, see, I think we'll talk about the CBA probably in another episode. But to me, that divides the labor, right? The hitters 
the reason the MLB Players Association hasn't said anything, the hitters love this. The money's yeah. finally coming back into their pockets, right? So we'll talk about that in a later episode. But yeah. to me, Garrett Richards is killing me. They're not I, united. I can't watch it. This isn't a no, money exactly. thing. This isn't the players versus the owners. This, for the first time that I'm aware of in MLB history, we're seeing the players split into two different factions here. That's what's going to – it's not a CBA thing, I don't think. I mean, because they're not all – the players are never going to all agree. You know, no, I, I agree, and I think if they would, they would have already said something. The they have would have put out a statement. They have never-ending resources. They'll be able to come up with something that allows the pitchers a better grip without added spin or a significant added spin uh, to what they're what they're having now with you know nothing on the ball, just throwing a cue ball, and they can monitor it. They can absolutely monitor it with uh, just Statcast Live. So if there's any crazy jump in a situation they'll be able to get down to that well that that's what i said in the last show they know what the baselines are for when they're on spider tack and now this week they're kind of learning what the baselines are now that they're not on it so they know they know where the ends of the spectrum are or they're about to at this point but as far as my piece on garrett richards i don't know if job hated that signing more than me I hated it a lot. He's I, a bum. I was I was infuriated that it happened. And I didn't know if his his injury history was going to be the part that that haunted us. I didn't know if it was going to be his lack of command that he couldn't quite solve last year if that was going to come back to haunt us or uh, an admittedly relatively unforeseen situation like this. I mean, we knew the threats were out there that this could happen, but something about Garrett Richards was going to haunt us, and we are haunted right now. And I got a quote right here from Rob Manfred uh, that I'm going to read to everybody. He was interviewed by, I think her name is pronounced Britt Giroli, who I absolutely can't stand, and I'm not going to get into that, but... Uh, she did interview the commissioner. Oh, crap. Oh, it's on Twitter. Hang on. Um, here we go. But she did interview the commissioner, and uh, here was the question she asked. She goes, could enforcement look different by the end of the season or the postseason, or do you view it as ironclad? So, so she's basically asking the commissioner, could something change in the coming weeks that maybe they will allow a substance like Andrew is, is alluding to, uh, possibly? And this is what Manfred says. He says, quote, I don't like to put my feet in the sand. We are two days in. I just don't have enough information to tell you that it's ironclad or that it's going to change. Really, the whole process is two years old, right? He's talking about the spider tax specifically being uh, predominantly in the league for two years. Uh, he goes, after we had that incident in Anaheim, we gave notice to the clubs that we were concerned about foreign substances on the baseball. We reiterated that concern this previous March. There was a lot of publicity about what we were finding, and then we made the change with the June memo. I think we tried to stay flexible on the issue and learn. With respect to this last two days, I think it's too soon to offer you any judgment on what's going to happen with 
future enforcement changes, end quote. So we can say, yeah, maybe maybe there's going to be a change, but is that six weeks from now and Garrett Richards is going to get shelled five or six more times? Because that might be the case. I'm just, I'm, it, it was... It was it was a really risky signing, and and we're getting burnt by it right now. I mean, well, you know, we get we got some benefits out of it because he did have some good outings. And for people that want to second guess it, I mean, you look at what what the alternatives would have been if they could have got Kluber, which I adamant they were. I didn't get want him. that either. I no, did. I agree, but that's just one of those names that was out there. And his injury would have done nothing. He would have been useless for three months. And right when it became effective, his spin rate, like, it went through the roof. It was up something like 20%. And then you have uh, guys like Odorizzi who are still fucked up. I, I don't know. It was, there, were all, there was no ironclad signing um, in the free agent pitching market this year. And it's not like he signed to a giant deal either. It's a one-year and if he does well and figures it out, they can re-up him for the next year. So it's this isn't a thing that's going to make or break them. What, what no, other I, I signing? Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. What other signing could have been more risky than this? I don't recall one. This one Corey had Kluber. red flags everywhere. Corey Kluber. That was bad. He got paid more money. And now he's out for – he's been out for eight weeks. And his spin rate went up significantly. He had a pedigree, he, though. I, that had a ton of risk, but he had a pedigree. What did okay, Odorizzi? I mean, he had the stuff and he had injuries. He, he had he injuries. had a back injury last year. I it, but that wouldn't have been the good. only one would have been um, Trevor Bauer, <sighs> and he's the poster boy for all this. I'm just you talking know, about risk. There was there was nobody more riskier than than Garrett Richards. Could, could, but could who he, would they be in a better situation with right now? Uh, at this point, you know, we can go back and, and look at it. We talked about. A lot of different guys. We talked about uh, one guy on the White Sox. We talked about Jake Odorizzi. We we went through the whole list, right? Not a lot of them would be. Not a lot of those signings worked out. The one we know not working out is the guy on our team, Darren <laughs> Richards. And I don't mean all season because he had a good a good couple of stretches. That's why we're having this talk now and not five weeks ago when I wanted to have it the first time. The problem that I see with Garrett Richards is. You know that if this is his baseline, he's going to get knocked around. And we're probably still three weeks away from seeing Tanner Houck be ready. We're probably still about a month out from a Chris Sale return. And you cannot, in the big leagues, be a starting pitcher with two pitches. So if his curveball is ineffective, which he hasn't thrown it all that much in the last two outings without getting shelled, he only threw threw zero – in his time before last, and this time out, he threw four, and all four of them were hard to hit, exit velocity of 105 miles an hour. He can't live with a fastball and a, and a changeup. He just can't. He doesn't have 102, and he's a starting pitcher. So to me, at best now, his ceiling is a bullpen arm until he figures it out, and we just can't afford to be losing division games and burning the bullpen at the same time because this guy's in his own head. He, he well, threw- I, they got to give him a couple starts to try to figure some things out here. <laughs> He's going mean, get he gets destroyed. In my book, he gets one more start, and after the All-Star break, if he hasn't put it together, 
Then you move, you make the move, and you go to Hauk full time. He threw because zero. This guy is a head case. He threw zero curveballs the start before this one, and then this one he finally tried it. He threw eleven of them, and three were strikes. And I don't think he struck out uh, anyone. Do I have his line? Yeah, zero strikeouts in one and two thirds. He walked four uh, people. So this guy's a mess. And he had a hit batsman as well. And he had a he hit also batsman. Hit a guy. Okay. And he's a he's a mess. And I'll give him credit for one thing. He was very candid in his post-game interview and he said he's going to have to find a way to pitch differently than he has in the last 9 years, but you don't that's that's an extreme long shot and that that's something that's not going to be solved this season, I don't think. And if he has to change his mechanics, he's probably going to get hurt as well if he has to throw differently at 33 years old. I, you know, he's got an injury history. To me, the the biggest part of this, and Andrew, you'll probably agree with this because we've had this conversation about other guys on the team. He didn't have it. Very clearly didn't have it. Cora had to go give him the hook. He showed no willingness, no balls, no grit, no determination to get through the outing. No, I'm going to attack hitters anyway. He just looked so upset the whole time. He's like slamming the rosin bag down on the mound. And he's glaring at the umpire, and he's glaring at Cora. He didn't want to be out there playing baseball, and it affected his performance. To me, if he goes out there and, you know, Max Scherzer's another guy who's been right up there. He was mentioned in the Angels scandal at the very beginning. Max Scherzer went out there, had not good stuff, and he still gave them four and a half innings uh, and threw 105 pitches and was checked four times for sicky substances. And he was pissed. But he went out there and threw 100 pitches. And he gave him a chance to win the game. I wanted that from Richards. That's what I want from a guy who doesn't have his best stuff. Try to win the game. Stop looking at the umpire to get you out of there. Your manager to save you. It's not about your statistics. It's about winning the game. And that infuriates me to no end. We got to get this guy out of the rotation until he figures it out. I could go on, but I, I don't really have much more. I'm just going to say that I'm not really optimistic about uh, the near term with him. It's something radical would have to happen with the commissioner's office in the next week. And if he was on spider tack, I don't know. W- what is he on sunscreen and rosin? I mean, his grip would improve. 80, 80% and, maybe of, of what he's on on spider tack. And we, we would take that, but we would take that. But yeah, so I, there's just so many unknowns really um, with him. My dud for the series hasn't really been a dud that often this year. Uh, I'm going with Christian Vasquez. He was 3-for-12 on the series, which isn't horrible, and he did have two hits uh, tonight. One of them was a weird golf swing-type shot that landed in no man's land, uh, shallow and in left center. But um, he hurt the, the, the team tonight in, in a lot of ways. Uh, number one, he got caught halfway between second and third for for no apparent reason whatsoever and then got gunned down trying to get back to second. So he was in scoring position. The score was 0-0 at that point. And who knows if he would have scored, but it was was definitely a, a, a bad way to end the inning. And then tonight, I'm frazzled from the, the Richard stuff, but I didn't like 
calling for a curveball with Barnes with with a runner on second because th- there was a high likelihood there could be a pass ball, and that's what happened, and, and that's how the game ended because that ended up being the walk-off. So it just it wasn't a good game for Vasquez. Oh, and then the, the other one I forgot, he – he tried uh, gunning down the runner at second, which uh, terrible throw. Probably wasn't going to get him out anyway. And I was that Margot, and then he advanced to third. It and, was, and then he ended up being the uh, the winning run. So it was just a terrible uh, game by Vasquez on the base pass and uh, defensively as well. And um, I, I kind of put a lot of the loss on him tonight. You know, I I find it hard to put the loss on him only because he called a brilliant game from a from a catching standpoint to get us through eight innings without giving up a hit, um, basically. The only thing that he did wrong to me behind the dish was clumsy mistake to throw through to second base. It was a bad pitch uh, on that too. The, the the pitch was in the dirt. It was it was behind him. He had to backhand it, get up. Even if he makes a perfect throw, which we've seen Christian Vasquez do many times, you're not guaranteed to get him. And to me, that was just lazy. I understand it. It's it's extreme confidence in your own arm and your own ability to get it there perfectly, which I, I want from my catcher. But to me, Kevin Pluecki's behind the plate. I know he doesn't have a great arm. He doesn't even try that. And then on the, you know, you have a little bit more room to work. And on that pass ball, you now got two strikes, two outs, man on third base. It's a, it's a whole different ball game. I thought he played pretty well behind the plate. The only thing being, he called back to back curveballs. And I sent it in our private message before the show. While we're watching the game, I said, you know, every time he calls for a curveball, my heart rate increases. It's like my heart rate was through the roof when he called for the first curveball. The second curveball, I was like, what are you doing? You have 97-mile-an-hour gas. Just challenge this guy. You know, you're not facing Juan Soto here. This is a a bottom-of-the-order bat on a Tampa Bay team that is an all-or-nothing club, and you only needed to throw three strikes, which we know Matt Barnes can do. I didn't like the the play call on that last the last at bat, but other than that, I thought Vasquez was okay. Well, the the base running too, though. I mean, the base running was also brutal. I mean, he got picked off at second base. You can't do that in a nothing nothing in scoring game. position. But Andrew, go ahead. Yeah, definitely not a uh, game that's going to go in the highlight film for Christian Vasquez. The pitch Barnes made that was the pass ball is actually a hell of a pitch, too. That's what sucks. So. Yeah, I don't know what he was thinking. He had a couple brain farts tonight. Definitely cost him the game. Uh, there's really no other way around it. They can't even sugarcoat it for him. Just fell asleep on the base pass and then fell asleep behind the plate, throwing that ball down the line. And as soon as it left his hand, I was like, oh, that's going in right center. <laughs> and it did. And then that was kind of right in on the wall. I don't know about the two of you, but I felt like when that ball went into right center, Kike could have had a shot at, at third base if he was – paying more attention I just he, he like had to throw across his body though yeah I just, it, being a the, I just felt like he was slow to the ball if he had been a little faster to the ball or i'm not putting no, that on tk though I, i'm not either i just i was hoping for a miracle there i, I thought maybe he could have provided it 
Yeah, well, you know, I, I don't think we're going to be talking about Vasquez necessarily being a dud uh, too many times uh, for the rest of the season. I did mean to go back and, and check my uh, notes, but he's been cooling off at the plate. Well, I guess he was three for 10 in his last series, two series ago, two for seven. So I, I guess he hasn't been terrible lately, but, um, but I. I can't remember if I asked the last show, is there any way he gets traded? No. You know, I, no, I think there's no one to take his spot. <laughs> that would create a huge black hole. Ploiecki's gotten hurt twice in like two weeks, and they don't have the minor league depth. Ronaldo Hernandez is a year away at most. I, at least you know, Andrew and I disagree on this, Terry. I, I think – the door is now open because Connor Wong is now with the big club and he's going to be catching his first game on Saturday against the Yankees in a big spot. And he's got 10 days to, to show what he's got. He's probably going to get two starts in there, maybe three, um, which is maybe not enough to know what he, what he's going to be long-term, but it might allow you to move Vasquez for, a more defensive-minded older catcher, say a Sandy Leone and a prospect, I think it's very on the table that you move Christian Vasquez. I In the last episode, that was one of the scenarios. Could we go get Sandy Leone? But my, I guess my biggest concern with moving Vasquez isn't even the offensive part of it. It's can the next catcher handle the pitching staff? Well, well this if, staff is stunk. If we're mad team. about Vasquez's defense tonight, you're really going to hate Connor Wong's if he gets an extended look out there because he's not a defensive-minded catcher. He's a, he's more of a utility man that can also catch when when needed. Can he play first well, base? Well, you would know more about that than I would, but can he play first base? <laughs> he can play second. He can play third. Uh, I mean, no, he, he can bounce around there. I was hoping maybe we could see J.D. and left and then Connor Wong DHing just to get a look at him at the plate, but um, that didn't happen this series. I, I don't know if it happens uh, in the next series, but I, I was just wondering. I mean, it's a way to move salary. And I don't. I think he's the second best offensive catcher in the game at the moment. And but he commands. He needs a big, to have value. Season deal. He needs so to have he value. Has extreme value now. And if you if you don't move him, his value is only going to go down. Uh, yeah. Based on his contract. So if you do want to move on from him, I think you can. I think there's there are plenty of teams right now that would take on his contract because he adds a righty bat um, to your lineup. He plays you guys really want to take a bat? Away from the bottom of this lineup right now. No, I know, but I'm saying you could. Right? You could, if you if you wanted to move him. I think it's it's very doable uh, as far as takers. You'll have a lot of takers for Christian Vasquez. Do I think it's the right move for this team? No. If you got a lot of takers, then you probably shouldn't be moving him in the first place. No, I, I agree with that as well. I just think you know, with his arm behind the plate, usually you know tonight's probably the wrong night to praise his defense behind the plate, but. He's usually a very good catcher behind the plate. He's above average offensively. Um, he's got the clutch gene. He's a good teammate. I, I just I don't want to move on from him because we don't have the next guy. But if you wanted to, you could. 
Well, let, let me ask this one. I, I, I'm not super serious about him being traded, but I, I think something unforeseen might happen in the next six weeks. But the Christian Vasquez you're seeing right now, the offense you're getting from him right now, which isn't super spectacular, are you really losing a lot with Ploiecki playing two-thirds of the remaining games with his I just don't offense? think he can. I don't think he can. I mean, he's he's injury prone. He's never caught a hundred games in a season that I that I know of and been productive. He's he's kind of a one or the other. You really need to have two catchers um, who can switch off at catching if you want to have any level of productivity. Andrew mentioned it. I want to say like five shows ago. He talked about how. Sometimes you just need the catchers to get a rest because you you can't even grip the bat. How how hard you get the, you know the the ball hits your mitt and how often you're taking a pounding. It's almost like you can't move on from Vasquez unless you get a catcher back, and you're not going to do that. There's no reason for that. It's the lateral move. All right, good enough. Uh, let's get into this Yankee series. We're actually I thought we were going to go way over this episode, but we got right through it. Um, so looks like we got two primetime starts and then a Sunday game. It's not the ESPN game this Sunday, so we're going to have a rare, thank God for that rare Nesson. I'm a big Matty V guy. I hate, I hate a rod, but, um, but Friday night, uh, interesting matchup. Domingo Herman versus Martin Perez Perez coming off of uh, a good start. Finally, um, that could go. I think that's just whatever offense is is the hottest. I mean, either one of those guys can go out there and lay an egg. So I, I think whoever has the run support to me is gonna gonna come away with that one. But Joe, what are your thoughts on Herman versus Perez? Well, uh, we had two frustrating days of offense from this team, which we really haven't seen consecutive days where this team doesn't hit all season. To me, I think you're right, Terry. It comes down to who's going to get more offensive production. I'm always going to be uh, happy on Perez Day. For me, this is a, a win for the Red Sox, and it's going to be a high-scoring game. Yeah, this should be coming out, you know, guns blazing tomorrow night. I, it's Pedroia night. We'll probably have a packed pack stands. I, I think they get after it. They're probably a little pissed off on this team flight home. That's uh, well. Hopefully they are. You know, those are some interesting observations. Um, it's just been such a wonky week. It's so hard to even predict this stuff. But uh, Saturday we got Jordan Montgomery versus Nathan Avaldi. I'll start that one by saying I love Avaldi against the Yankees, and uh, Montgomery hasn't been pitching well for the better part of a month. So, yeah, I think Montgomery. Is the guy, if you had to pick one guy to face in a, in a Yankees-Red Sox series, he's the guy you're going to pick every time. So to me, that's a win for the Red Sox. And hopefully um, Perez gives you five, so you have some strong back end of the bullpen for Evaldi because we know the only time Evaldi really ever gets in trouble is if you leave him in too long. He, he's liable to make a mistake. He's lights out early. So to me, uh, I'm hopeful we win the first two. Yeah, you got to hop on him early. Um, he actually had a decent outing last time out against Oakland, but the time before that, Toronto touched him up for five and five innings. So uh, 
I think it's all about setting the table in the first two innings, maybe put up two or three runs, gain momentum on that, and then um, really just hope to put them away because Sunday is going to be a struggle. Yeah, Bogarts is a 429 hitter off of Montgomery. Um, JD Martinez only 143, so I guess it just depends on which uh, which one shows up. But uh, finally, in the uh, in the final game of the series on Sunday at 110, Garrett Cole versus Eduardo Rodriguez. All these matchups are very even. I feel like you know, there's no real lopsided matchup here because. Rodriguez pitches very well against the Yankees, uh, also pitched very well uh, just a few starts ago against them, and, uh, you know, Garrett Cole's their ace, so um, I I like the matchup, and I'm just wondering if the Red Sox offense, I mean, Garrett Cole's the poster child for spider tack at this point, isn't he? So we're not going to get... Well, he's performed very well. In his start since the spider tack checks have been underway, um, he, he performed pretty well. He didn't have his best stuff. His RPMs were down. Um, 500. But he still gave them, he still gave them, I think, seven innings uh, of one-run ball. Uh, I, I don't ever expect the Red Sox to go out and shell Garrett Cole. But if there is a game that this Red Sox team is going to show up for, I think it's that game. Uh, No matter what happens in the first two games of the series, I fully expect J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, and and Rafael Devers especially to put the pressure on the rest of the team. Like, look, we can beat this guy. We beat aces all year long. That was our thing for the first half of the season. We beat Giolito. We beat Glasnow. We beat everybody. We can beat this guy. And this guy's been cheating. And every time the the pitchers are using the spider tack, the ERAs go down, our batting averages go down, our home runs go down, and we lose money. I think this is a huge motivating factor for the offense. Uh, I could see them maybe winning this game if all things go right. Yeah. I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No. I was going to say, I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum here. I think Cole is probably going to have his best game in a while. I'm thinking double-digit strikeouts and Erod runs and some bad luck and some solo shots. So I could see Cole going like seven innings with 12 Ks and Erod lets up like three chump solo solo home runs and just a frustrating night to end the series. But, you know, the Yankee salvage one. It's too bad this is an afternoon game because I feel like if we do light up Cole, we're not going to – who's going to be watching at that hour, you know, versus what might have been on uh, ESPN in primetime. So, uh, yeah, I mean, some guys have uh, some decent numbers off of uh, Garrett Cole. Danny Santana, believe it or not, is a six. 67 hitter and 12 at-bats so against what? Cole. <laughs> oh, and 12, I was going to say, in two at-bats. So oh. that's Danny Santana's last game for the Red Sox. Right? <laughs> Let's cross our fingers, right? You can hit, if you can hit Garrett Cole, put him in, and then DFA him immediately after the game. It's perfect. Yeah. But yeah, uh, so the numbers at quick glance look good, but the sample sizes are so tiny. Marwin Gonzalez, a 500 hitter, but only two at-bats. So we're not going to get too crazy there, but – 
I hope Erod steps up like he always does in big games, and uh, I I hope Garrett Cole does get thumped. Sometimes they they just walk into <laughs> they walk into a landmine and 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 get lit up. You know, sorry. I've said it four times, right? I've said it four times. Erod's turned the corner. I'm going to say it again. <laughs> Hopefully, Erod can give you six. Uh, if he can give you six with two earned runs, I think this this would be the ideal game. To go Erod, Whitlock, Ottavino, and shut the door. That would be my ideal situation at Fenway. Hopefully going for a sweep. Um, the one thing that concerns me is the Red Sox in day games. Even though our record is, I mean, our uh, offense is good and the numbers say that we should be winning, we're only one game over 500 in day games. Um, 13 and 12, I believe, is the, the number. And that scares me. I just feel like teams don't have the same urgency and if we don't have urgency we're not good enough to just get by on talent yeah and and then of course the road splits home road splits as well so uh so i guess we will wrap on that 24 hours after this release we will have red Sox deep dives where we'll be getting into a number of topics so be on the lookout for that and then sunday night Charlie, Jason, and I will go over the Yankees series. Maybe you guys will get to do one this season. I, I don't know. They got the last one, so uh, I don't know how the schedule falls. But plenty of games against them still to be played regardless. So I hope to just get one. I just want one Yankees series, you know, <laughs> you, the rest of the season. You guys keep getting the wonky two-game National League series in the middle of the week. You know the Braves won. Well, sometimes sometimes that's good for us to have because if anyone knows the the non stars and the the prospects, it's Andrew. So <laughs> it sometimes helps to have us on those other shows. Um, but I'm hoping we get one Yankees Red Sox series. I think you will. So uh, so again, we'll be back with you in 24 hours. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Take care. <laughs>